Well, I'm very grateful to, to Tim for the invitation to, to preach this morning. And uh, in discussion with him, he said, you're looking at mission. So I thought, okay, let's get into mission. And so I chose as a, a theme for this morning, growing in God's mission in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to, to look into. And I did just put up on the next slide, um, the next, uh, next slide, please, the uh, an email address of uh, the warehouse. If you want to get more information about the warehouse, um, you can either go onto their website, which is simply warehouse.org.za, or, or email them at that uh, address, and they'll send you um, a quarterly newsletter, which has some very interesting articles, short, pithy articles, um, pointers for prayer, uh, if you'd like more information. As we, as we look at this um, broad subject of growing in mission, I thought that um, what I'd like to do is to lay down some um, basic uh, tenets of our faith, the basic doctrines upon which uh, the church being involved in mission uh, are founded on. And so I've got seven statements that I want to go through um, quite quickly, um, but they are all foundational statements which in a sense root the church in God's mission. And so here's the first one. God is always at work everywhere, all the time, whether we are conscious of it or not. God is always at work everywhere, all the time, whether we're conscious of not. Um, that would be, if you're at all familiar with Ignatian spirituality, um, a, a tenant of, of uh, Ignatius' spirituality. God is always at work all the time. One of my favorite psalms is uh, Psalm 139. And it asks the question, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn and flee to the farther side of the sea, even there your right hand will guide me, your hand will hold me fast. And so the answer to the psalmist's questions, where can I go from your presence? The answer is nowhere. There is nowhere that God is not present. There's no way you've been this week that God has not been present. There is no uh, situation that you have read about this week that God has not been present in. And, and the corollary is, if God is present, God's not just, you know, sort of hanging out and watching. God is active. God is active in every situation, whether we are conscious of it or not. And so, as, as, as uh, Lorraine prayed earlier, we pray that God would be involved, God's kingdom would be coming uh, a reality in each of those situations. God is present everywhere, all the time, whether we are conscious of it or not, and God is not idle, God is active. And so, if you think back over, over your, your week and where you've been, the conversations you've had, the, the situations that have, um, that have disturbed you or excited you or left you feeling uh, rather numb, God has been present and God has been active. There's that wonderful um, 
verse in Psalm 139, which I, I, I was on a retreat two years ago, and I actually spent two days just meditating on one, one word. And in the psalm, the psalmist says, where can I go from your presence if I make my bed in the pit? Even there, your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. I spent two days just meditating on that one word, fast. I don't know how you pronounce it in, um, in Somerset, but that's how we pronounce it in, in Cape Town, fast. Your right hand will hold me fast. There's nowhere that I can go. There's nothing that I can do. Even if I've been my most despicable, my most wretched, your right hand will hold me fast. Francis Thompson wrote um, that uh, famous poem, The Hound of Heaven. And uh, John Stott, in his, his book, Why I Am a Christian, picks up on that image. And uh, I quote from his book, he says, Why? I am a Christian is due ultimately neither to the influence of my parents and teachers nor to my own personal decision for Christ, but to the hound of heaven that that is due to Jesus Christ himself who pursued me relentlessly even when I was running away from him in order to go my own way. And if it were not been for that gracious pursuit of the hound of heaven, I would today be on the scrap heap of wasted and discarded lives. And so that's the, that's the second statement which we need to hold on to. God is at work always, all the time. And secondly, God pursues us because he wants a personal relationship with us. The hound of heaven is after you. And he is not going to give up. And even when you make your bed in the pit, even when you emigrate, even when you flee away, even, even when you try to avoid him, he's after you. And the hound of heaven is not going to give up. These are our foundational truths which we need to hold on to for ourselves and which we need to set before us as we think of um, the church's mission to the world. The hound of heaven is after us. And so one, one thinks of those, um, those three wonderful parables in Luke chapter 15 of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And, and they speak of the heart of God who seeks out the lost, who, who doesn't rest until the lost sheep has come home who, who, who doesn't put down um, anything until that lost coin is restored, who waits and waits patiently and with agony until the lost son comes home. That's the heart of God. God pursues us with a heart of love wanting to bring us home. So these, those are the first two foundational principles upon which the church the church's mission rests and the third is this god's invitation while personal is always corporate we are called into community 
The sheep that was lost was returned to the 99. The coin that was lost was put back with the, the other nine. And, and the son that returned home came back to a family party. The return, the coming to Jesus means we are drawn into community. That's the way God works. That's the way his invitation works. And that's why I think Alpha is such a, a wonderful expression of inviting people into encounter with Jesus because it says, come and have a party. We're going to have a meal. You know, we, we're going to gather around and we're going to, we're going to hang out together because we are in community. And Paul, of course, labors this point as he, he writes to the Corinthians in, in 1 Corinthians 12, and he talks about, he uses the illustration of the body. You know, the, the body is made up of many parts, but it's one body, and the, the hand can't say, you know, I don't want to be a foot, and, and the eye can't say, I, you know, you, the ear's not part of us. We, we belong together. And how ridiculous it is, is it to think of a body that's just one part, you know, something like out of Monty Python, a head sort of wandering around on its own without a body attached to it. And it's not that we are better together. It's that we are impossible unless we are together. We are not the church. We are not the, the body of Christ unless we are together. And so, so we have this, this call all the way through Scripture, you know, encourage one another, love one another, um, keep on uh, loving one another, don't slander one another, uh, don't grumble against one another. We, we belong together, we are called into community. So that's, this, that's the, the third foundational principle. We are not on our own. God is always at work all the time. He's pursuing us. He wants a personal relationship with us. The hound of heaven's after us. And he calls us into community. I love the way that um, in, in that, that parable of, of the lost son, Jesus uses a literary style which can be called participatory theater because he tells a story which doesn't have an ending. He tells the story of, of, of the lost son returning, but then the story goes on about the the, the older brother who was at home all the time, but who actually wasn't a part of things. And, and, and the story finishes with the older brother saying to his father, the son of yours, not my brother, but the son of yours, you throw in a party for him. And, and the father says to the older brother, won't you come in? Won't you come in and, and join won't you come back and rejoice with us? And the parable ends with it all open. And we ask ourselves, well, did the older brother go in and join the party? Or did he stay outside in the field? And the answer is, you decide. Because you're the older brother. So you decide how the parable is going to end. Jesus invites us into the party, to be part of that corporate experience. And then we come to the fourth statement. God invites us to become involved with him and his kingdom work. 
Not only are we, are we drawn, are we pursued by the hound of heaven, not only are we drawn into a community, into the family, we are then invited to be part of God's kingdom establishment. We are invited to join God in establishing his kingdom. I love the way, um, Lorraine, you, you led our prayers with that, with that response. God in heaven, let your kingdom come. And that's actually just us praying that prayer, Lord, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that prayer. And, 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 and what we are praying for is that the rule of God be established. We're praying for all those, those things that would uh, speak to us of the presence and the rule of Christ. We have... Um, in Genesis 1 to 3, the establishment of God's very good creation. Um, we won't go into it all, but God creates, and at the end he says it was very good. But then sin comes in and wrecks it, obfuscates it. There's manipulation, there's deception, there's exploitation, there's um, deception. Sin messes things up. But then from Revelation from Genesis 3 through to Revelation 22, we read actually about how God's kingdom is being put back in place, how, how God's kingdom is being uh, restored. And we, we have in, in Revelation uh, four wonderful pictures of what the kingdom looks like. And the first, the first is a, a, a picture of the throne room of heaven, of the, the, the multinational, multilingual people of God gathered around and worshiping the Lamb in adoration and praise and love. It's a picture of people gathered from all nations. That's, that's the kingdom. There's a second picture. It's the, the picture of a wedding feast. It's a picture of, of intimacy, of, of celebration, of uh, community, of intimacy. That's the kingdom. Relationships at a, at, a, at a sort of a microcosm level, restored, healthy, good, loving. And then we get a third picture. It's, a, it's the picture of the, the new Jerusalem, the new city of God coming down. Uh, and there's there's, as we read uh, in that Revelation 22 passage, there is, there's no darkness. There, there are no um, burglar bars. There are no burglar alarm systems. There's, there's no exploitation. Everything's in its right place. There's no illness. There's no pain. There's no suffering. There's no injustice. There's no division. All those things that, that we are striving to, to address, they're gone. That's, that's part of the picture of, of the kingdom. And then there's a fourth picture that comes in Revelation, and it's a picture of a garden, uh, a garden with a stream running through it, and on either side of the streams are the trees for the healing of the nations. It's a picture of... of, of uh, creation being in harmony uh, and being a, a place of healing and restoration. 
So if you are an environmentalist and, and, and you're thinking into that space, this is, this is the kingdom of God. We, we're getting this glimpse, we're getting this picture of what God's kingdom looks like. And God invites us to be part of that. This, this, this multilingual, multinational um, people of God, that's his kingdom. Every nation, every tribe, every race. And, 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 and families operating correctly and, and community at, a, at its best encapsulated by a, a wedding feast. And, and a city that's, that's ordered and well and, you know, things operate well and on time and, and, and everything has its right place. And we're in harmony with our environment, the, the, the creation that God has blessed us with. This is, this is the kingdom that we pray for. God in heaven, may your kingdom come. The fifth foundational truth that we need to, to notice is this. God speaks to us by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal his purposes and ways. God is speaking to us. God is speaking to, to you individually. He's speaking to us corporately about what he wants us to do. God speaks to us through Scripture. Um, it's, it's, it's my practice to, to use the, the Anglican lectionary, and I read passages of Scripture every day, and, and God speaks to me personally through those. Um, Hillary and I use Scripture Union notes as well, and we, 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 we read those passages, and God speaks to us through his Scriptures. He, he addresses us personally by his Holy Spirit about things that we need to be paying attention to, things we need to be doing. God speaks to us through prayer as, as we get to a place and we say, Lord, I'm here. Um, I'm willing. I'm, I'm ready. Make your will clear for us for, for this day, for this week, for what you want us to do. As we take up that position, God speaks to us. God speaks to us through circumstances. If God is present all the time, always at work, he's going to speak to us through circumstances. Uh, a, a good friend um, of, of, uh, of mine in Cape Town, her name's Jenny, um, was at a sort of a crossroads in her life. Um, Jenny, Jenny is a fairly timid person, not, not wonderfully outgoing, but very faithful in prayer. And she felt she was at a, at a sort of a crossroads and she needed to do something. And so she said, okay, Lord, I've always known there's lots of invitations to get involved in church. The next time they ask for a volunteer um, to get involved, I'll, I'll put up my hand, whatever it is. Well, the next invitation that was given was they were looking for volunteers to help run the Alpha course in Polesmore Prison. Now, Polesmore Prison in Cape Town is one of, you know, a, a, not a very savory place to go. But she said, okay, Lord, that's what you asked me to do. I'll do it. Well, I want to tell you, Jenny is a transformed person. She went in and she sat down there running her first little alpha group. And um, she learned by experience, you don't actually ask people why they're there, but she discovered afterwards that this one had murdered his wife and that one was a drug addict and this one had been a pedophile and th these were the people in her group. And she learned a whole lot about just stepping into 
that space that God had created for her. So God speaks to us through circumstances. And God also speaks to us through the church. Um, I wonder if we could just put up the next slide. Um, yeah, this one. These, these are the five marks of mission drawn up by uh, the august body of the Anglican Consultative Council. The Anglican Consultative Council came up with the five marks of mission, and I find them really, really helpful. Um, and uh, not, the, not that the Anglican Consultative Council put them in this way, but a good, a good scholar encapsulated them with these five T's. And the first is to tell. That's about evangelism. Tell, proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. That's the first T. And the second is teach, which is about discipleship. You know, teach, baptize, and nurture believers. Uh, the third T is tend. Uh, respond to human need in, in loving service and kindness. Um, nurture, tend. The fourth T is transform. Transform unjust structures in society. Address systemic evil, systemic sin. Um, work for those things. That's also part of mission. And the last T is treasure. Treasure the creation that God has given to us sustain, uh, to sustain our lives, the stewardship of the earth. So those five T's I think are really helpful. Come on, can we have a bit of response and, and, and just call them out? Tell, teach, tend, transform, treasure. And, and, and those are, are an encompassing way of looking at mission. What, what is the mission of the church? Well, it's these five things. This is what God invites us into. Is, is this what we're praying for when we pray, God in heaven, let your kingdom come? Is this what we're investing in as we spend our mission budget? Is this what we are praying into? Um, you know, these are, these, this, these are the five marks of mission. So God speaks to us and invites us into his mission. The sixth statement is this. God's invitation for us to join him will always lead to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. God's invitation to you and to me will always lead to a crisis of faith. We will be pushed to a place of our discomfort. We'll be pushed to a place where to accept means we are going to face a challenge. A, a, a crisis is a tipping moment. It, 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 it's a moment when things can't stay the same, when things move, when, when we are stretched, and that's when we grow. It's not going to be the same old, same old, same old. We are going to be put in a place of a crisis because to accept the invitation that God gives is going to mean a change in our lives. It's going to mean some sort of sacrifice. It's going to mean stepping off the boat. It's going to mean going into deep water. It's going to involve some change when we are not in control. When, when we have to, as it were, put our faith to the test and say, Lord, unless you are in this, it's not going to work. 
I, I have a, a, a good friend in Cape Town, John, and, and he, he, he said once, a sacrifice is not a sacrifice unless it's a sacrifice. It's going to involve a sacrifice. It's going to involve a crisis as we respond to God. It's going to mean like Jenny walking through the doors of Polesmore Prison. It's going to be like Peter stepping off the boat onto the water. It's going to be, mean going to a place you've never been before, doing something you've not done before. It's going to mean saying, Lord, let it be to me according to your will. Lord, here am I, send me. Lord, speak your servants listening. It's going to mean that and a whole lot that follows. So, so the question that we have to sit with is ask ourselves, well, what adjustments do I need to make to my life? What will this mean for me to, to step in to the invitation that God is giving? The seventh and the last statement that I want to leave with you is this. We come to know and experience the power of the Holy Spirit as we obey him and he accomplishes his work through us. The presence of the Holy Spirit of God is known most keenly when we are engaged in mission, when we are out there, when we are on the coalface, when we're in the thick of things, when we're in the heat of battle, as it were. It's great to, to have times in the church when we pray, Lord, send your Holy Spirit to, to empower us, to, to equip us, to heal us, to, um, to give us joy and delight in you, to release us into worship. But actually, the Holy Spirit is given for mission. It's given so the church can be empowered out there. In, in, in John chapter 20, John records um, on the day of Jesus' resurrection how he appears to the disciples and he says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and the sending of mission are linked together. That's why we are given the Holy Spirit. That's why we are filled with the Spirit, so that we can step into mission, so that we can do the dangerous things, so we can do what hasn't been done before. And the key, the key here is that step of obedience. So I want to say, as, as, as I sort of draw to a close, if you've heard God speak to you, not just through my words this morning, but if you've been hearing God speak to you about something, if you, if you are aware that the hound of heaven is after you and is relentlessly pursuing you, if, if, if you're aware that God has spoken to you through his word, through the church, through scripture, through your prayers, through circumstances, through doors that have opened, if you're aware of that, if you're aware of that invitation, then the, answer, the question is, will you obey? Will you say, yes, Lord, I will, and take that first step? 
And I don't know what that first step for you will be. Maybe it's one of, one of these things. Maybe it's sending an email to somebody. Maybe it's making an appointment. Maybe it's taking a trip. Maybe it's making a purchase. Maybe it's clearing something in your diary. What's the first step that would be that indication that this is a step of obedience, that you are responding to what God has said to you? It all begins with just a very small thing. Make that phone call, send that email, make the purchase, make that trip, whatever it is, as an indication that you are saying, yes, God, I'm here, send me. Let's pray. Gracious and loving Father, we want to know you more. We want to know your ways. We want to know your presence with us. We want, we want to, to see the release of your power among us, both within our individual lives, but, but also within our corporate life as your church. Graciously open our ears to hear that call that you give to us again and again and again. And, and move our hearts that we might respond in obedience to the call that you give us. We ask this for the glory of your name. Amen.